it should be celebrated by all Americans. Why? It is because slavery of one person who was made in the image of God is really slavery for all of us. Because there is a deeper and greater slavery that fuels and fueled the chattel slavery of the 17th, 18th, and 19th centuries. And for those of us who are Christians, we know that this greater slavery, it's, it, these are chains. This is a, a bondage that goes so much deeper than any of us would even like to realize. Chains, which drive and have driven every sinful human institution that our broken minds can invent. A kind of slavery, chains, bondage, which we hide behind the ignorance of our own hearts. One person said this, the greatest form of slavery is the kind of slavery which makes you believe that you're free even though you're a slave. Do you know true freedom? Do you know true freedom? Now, everybody likes good news, right? We all want to hear something good. As a matter of fact, I got a friend who every time I talk to him, he says, hey, Joel, how you doing? Tell me something good. <laughs> you know those kind of people? Tell me something. Maybe you're one of those kind of people. Tell me something good. We all want to hear something good, don't we? We all want to hear good news. Nobody likes to hear bad news. As a result, humans, we, we like our ears to be tickled a little bit. We like to hear things uh, which, which make us feel good. Somebody posted a meme the other day which said something like, oh, I read, I read recently of the terrible health effects that alcohol has on my body. So, it looks like this is it. I'm going to stop reading. And then the quote says, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> is ignorance really bliss? I mean, in some sense, we, we get it. In some sense, we would rather just not know. We would rather not hear the bad news, and we would rather just hear something good. But let's ask this question. Is ignorance really bliss? Like, if you are, in fact, in chains, you're in bondage, but you don't realize it, is that, is that okay? Is that good? Is it okay if we're just ignorant to our own terrible situation? Well, this is the dilemma that Jeremiah is facing as he sees an entire Israel who is about to be led away into slavery, into bondage, into chains. And they don't want to hear it because they're just about the good news. They don't want to hear the bad news. As we've been in the study of Jeremiah, we just came to our halfway point. We're now beginning part two of Jeremiah, which, by the way, it gets better, okay? In part one, it, it sort of ends with the first invasion, which took place in 597 B.C. when King Jeconiah surrendered to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. And uh, Nebuchadnezzar took away into exile both King Jeconiah of Israel as well as 10,000 of Israel's elite. 
who surrendered, as God told them to do, to Babylon. Now, as we get into part two, chapter 26 begins in the year 609. I'm going to throw some dates out, all right, but they're not going to be on the quiz, so don't worry, all right? Just kind of flow with me for a minute here. 597, first invasion of Babylon. This is 10 years, by the way, before the, final, the second invasion, which is that infamous invasion of Babylon, in which the temple is destroyed in the year 587 B.C. That actually will be on the quiz, all right? Remember 587. If you want to remember any date which will really help you in your biblical theology, remember 587 B.C., because that's when the temple was destroyed, and all of Judah, went, along with Israel, went into slavery in Babylon, for 70 years, for a very long time, in 587. Now, like a good movie, though, chapter 26 kind of begins with a flashback. That's how part two begins. He's taking us all the way back. He's actually taking us back to chapter 7 of Jeremiah. If you were reading through Jeremiah very closely and you read chapter 26, you would actually feel like I've read this before. You have, chapter 7. He's rehashing for us Jeremiah's message and chapter 26. He's reminding us that Jeremiah has been preaching this message that God's wrath is coming because of sin. That we must turn from our sin in order to enjoy God's presence to live in the land, Israel. But also, chapter 26 reminds us that Jeremiah faced severe persecution. Remember way back, Jeremiah had a death threat against him. There was a plot that was formed to kill Jeremiah. We see this, look at chapter 26, verse 11. We we, we see this here. They said, this man deserves the sentence of death because he has prophesied against this city, as you have heard with your own ears. And they seek to kill Jeremiah. Now, God has a plan for Jeremiah. God spares Jeremiah's life, protects him. However, as chapter 26 goes, we see that the one person who believed Jeremiah was with Jeremiah. His name was Uriah. He was hunted down and killed as a martyr. One of the great martyrs of the faith. What is chapter 26 doing? Why does part 2 start with a rehash of what's been going on? Well, I think what Jeremiah wants us to know is that he had this calling. He had this calling to preach God's word no matter how hostile the context. Let me say that again because you're sleeping on me and I don't think you got it. Jeremiah had a calling to preach God's word no matter how hostile the context. And then we get into the, to the story. Chapter 27 begins. Chapters 27 fast-forwards now, back to present day, year, the year is 597. Jeremiah is 15 years older. The first invasion has just taken place. 10,000, along with King Je- Jeconiah, have been taken away to Babylon. And here, Jeremiah is in Judah. King Zedekiah is on the throne. This is 10 years, by the way, before King Zedekiah will resist Babylon and bring about this ultimate destruction in 587. 
in which Zedekiah and the temple and all, all of Judah are destroyed. However, chapter 27 begins with somewhat of a UN meeting. This is like the United Nations back in the day. All of these various representatives of kings come to Israel. We see this in chapter, uh, verses 3 and 4 of chapter 27. Edom is there, Moab is there, Ammon is there, Tyre is there, Sidon is there, and they're meeting with King Zedekiah in Judah. Now, I don't think Jeremiah was invited to this UN meeting. But God tells Jeremiah, you're going to break in. And you're not just going to break into this world leaders meeting with a suit on in a respectable fashion in the way that they think you're, you're supposed to come to these meetings. But Jeremiah, I want you to wear an oxen yoke to this meeting. Now, I've pulled out a picture of an oxen yoke for you just to give you an idea of what Jeremiah might have been wearing. If we could throw that picture up on the screen. Something like this, you'd have two oxen in a yoke. I don't know exactly how he wore it, but he wore this yoke on his shoulders with straps around his body. Can you imagine God saying, hey, go to the UN meeting, and I want you to put this thing on your shoulders, and I just want you to wear that. Maybe your tunic as well, I mean. But I want you, I want you to go in wearing this oxen yoke. This is what Jeremiah does. It's a powerful statement. And so he busts into this meeting, and he's wearing this yoke. He's wearing this heavy burden. Now, this burden is to represent what is about to happen. This burden is about to represent the fact that we are going as oxen under the yoke, enslaved to Babylon because of our sin against God. And here at this UN meeting, Jeremiah has three messages. Let me show them to you. He has three different messages to three different groups of people. First, to the kings of the world in verses 5 through 11 of chapter 27. To the kings of the world. He says this. I love this. He says, number one, God owns everything in verse 5. Number two, God gives whatever He pleases to whoever He pleases, in verse 5 as well. Number three, God has currently given a good bit of land, a good bit of people to Nebuchadnezzar, who, by the way, God calls my servant, which means I'm not out of control right now as Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes away Israel. As I'm giving Babylon the promised land, it's not as if the king of Israel has lost and is standing back somewhere. God is saying, no, I own the whole land. And I give whatever I want to whoever I want. And currently I'm giving this to Nebuchadnezzar. Number four, until his time comes to an end in verse seven. Meaning Nebuchadnezzar's time will come to an end. And when it does, I'm taking it back. And number five, every nation is to currently come under, willingly submit to Nebuchadnezzar because that is my plan, God says in verse eight. You guys remember that old song, he's got the whole world in his hands? 
He's got the whole, that's essentially what he's saying here. He's saying the whole world is God's. Not just this little piece of land which we call Israel. But the whole world is God's. The United States is God. North Korea's is God's. Russia is God's. There is no bit of the world that is outside of God's control. And God is ultimately supreme over everything that He does in the world. And God can give and God can take whatever God wants to do according to His purposes and according to His plan. It's kind of like the father who gave his son a car for his birthday. And the car is used one night for wrong purposes. As the kid sneaks out. Next morning, the dad finds out and he says, give me the keys. And his boy says, but this is my car. And he says, we might call it your car. You might drive it. (laughs) But my name is on the title. Give me the keys. Look, God owns everything. He is the father of all of us. Who owns the world. guys tracking with me? This is an important point. We're going somewhere. The second message goes to King Zedekiah of Judah in verses 12 through 15. Basically what he says is Babylon is coming in. Don't resist. Submit to Babylon. The third message goes out to the people of Israel, verses 16 through 22. And he says, Submit, you guys are going to Babylon. Submit to what the Lord is doing. Now, there's a theme as he gives this message in this world leaders meeting, which ties all of these three messages together. There is a thread. And that thread is simply this. Do not listen to false prophets. Do not listen to false prophets. Why? It's because the false prophets say you will not be removed from your land in verse 10. The false prophets say you will not have to serve Nebuchadnezzar in verse 14. The false prophets say, hey, all of the people who have gone away into exile, all those goods that were taken out of the temple, they're going to be quickly returned in verse 16. Well, that is not what God has said, is it? You see, these false prophets are removing from the people the very Word of God, which is to be used to call them to repentance. Now, chapter 28 is interesting. So in chapter 28, Jeremiah is still wearing this, wearing this oxen yoke. Chapter 28 zooms in on one false prophet in particular. It's almost as if, if this was a movie, we see this big mo- moment where Jeremiah is just indicting all the false prophets, saying don't listen to any of them. And then the very next scene, a couple months later, you can only imagine how heavy this thing is getting on his shoulders, and we're going to zoom in on one encounter 
that Jeremiah has with one false prophet, and his name is Hananiah. Everybody say, Hananiah. Hananiah comes across as super legit. His name is legit. Hananiah means Yahweh has been gracious. Man, don't you want a preacher coming into this church whose very name means Yahweh has been gracious? Give me that message, right? Give me the good news. Oh, Hananiah comes with good news. He's a bearer of good news. What Hananiah says in chapter 28 is, in verse 3, well, let me just read it to you. Within two years, God says, this is Hananiah speaking, within two years I will bring back to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house which Nebuchadnezzar took away. Verse 4, I will bring back Jeconiah and all of the exiles that I sent into Babylon. How quickly? In two years, he says. How many years did God say that they would be in captivity? Seventy years. That means a very long time. This false prophet, Hananiah, is coming along with really good news, especially for those who might have a cousin or two and some friends that have been swept away into exile. And what he's saying is, is hey, don't worry, they're going to be back in two years. And to those in exile, I'm sure this message gets there, they're being told, hey, don't worry, it's only going to be two years. Which leads us up to chapter 29, which I can't get into right now for the sake of time, but it is so good. All right, so come back next week. Now, this sounds so good that Jeremiah himself says, Amen. Like, I honestly think Jeremiah is confused in this moment. He hears this message from a prophet that seems pretty legit, and Jeremiah's like, Man, I, Amen, brother. Like, may that be. May that be. And Jeremiah, being a wise man, he says, if you're right, we'll see. That'll happen. We'll, basically, we'll know that you're right if this happens. And Jeremiah, I believe, is, is, is filled with a mixture of confusion, potential optimism. Now, to seal his message, to just show how dramatic he this guy Hananiah is, look what he does in verses 10 and 11 in front of probably many people. It says, the prophet Hananiah took the yoke bars from the neck of Jeremiah, the prophet, and broke them. And Hananiah spoke in the presence of all the people, saying, Thus says the Lord, even so I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, from the neck of all the nations within two years. And Jeremiah went his way. He had no words at this point. You know, Jeremiah had to kind of feel stupid, I think. He's been wearing this yoke since the UN meeting a couple months ago. He's been wearing it around, declaring that we are coming under this, this exile, that slavery is coming, and this prophet comes along and says, that's not true. 
Nebuchadnezzar's time is coming to an end and we are going to remain in the land. And he takes the yoke off of Jeremiah as a sign. Wow, that had to have been powerful. Only problem? Hananiah is wrong. Like good news is cool. As long as you're not wrong. It doesn't matter how great the news is if you're wrong. Well, look what happens. Look at verse 12. Sometime after Hananiah had broken the yoke bars off of Jeremiah, God comes to Jeremiah and he says this, Go tell Hananiah, thus says the Lord, You've broken wooden bars, but you have made in their place bars of iron. You've broken the wooden bars, but you've brought along something even worse. Bars of iron. Verse 15, listen, Hananiah, Jeremiah says, The Lord has not sent you, and you have made this people trust in a lie. In verse 17, we see that in that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. How ironic is it that Hananiah said, The exile will be over in two years, and within two months, Hananiah was dead. Our sin is a heavy yoke of slavery on our shoulders. And we've got to be honest about that. Nobody wants good news, do they? But don't you realize that there can only be good news if there's first bad news? We don't want to hear the bad news. But the bad news is this. Every single human being is under the yoke of sin. Every single human being, like Israel, has incurred the judgment of God because of their sin. Every single human being is called to turn from their sin, to repent, to trust in God. God through the Lord Jesus Christ to wake up to come to the realization that they have a yoke upon them but Paul warned Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 4 verse 3 for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what they're itching Ears want. Where do we find true freedom? Well, it's not through finding false prophets who say what we want. It's not through finding some false prophet who brings along good news, yet news that is false. Where do we find true freedom? Two points. Two points, and I'm out. Number one, false prophets remove your burden without Christ. 
False prophets seek to remove your burden without Christ. I told you just a couple weeks ago about this 12-year-old who I shared the gospel with as she was dying from cancer, and her aunt told her, Honey, you know that you don't have any sin. You are so innocent. Well, man, that sounds nice, but is it true? You see the problem? Just because we voice something that sounds liberating, we voice something that sounds freeing from guilt, whatever that might be, if it's not true, it's not helpful. And if it's not true, it actually does the reverse of what you hope for, and it further burdens you. I love the story Pilgrim's Progress, an old book written by John Bunyan. And the the lead character in the story, his name is Christian, and he discovers a massive burden, this big ugly thing, that is strapped to his back that he can't get off. And he walks around town as the most miserable person of all as he has come to realize that he's got this heavy burden on his back. Oh, if someone could take this burden off of my back. His friends mock him. But they can't take it off. But as the story progresses, what we find is that his burden leads him to the one who can remove it. And that is Jesus Christ. Therefore, his knowledge, him coming into this understanding that he has a burden, is actually a good thing. It's bad news, but it proves to be grace. Those who you feel sorry for in the book are people who have no knowledge that they are under a burden. False prophets, what do they do? False prophets bring along false assurance. They bring along false assurance. Man, Hananiah was slick. He's a good prophet in many senses of the word. He knows how to handle himself as a prophet. And he comes along and he assures people that they're fine. But false assurance is damning. And Hananiah brings along to the people false assurance. It's the kind of assurance that actually now keeps them from repenting. If you assure a sinner who is unrepentant of their sin that God is fine with them, yet they continue on in their unrepentance, have you loved that individual? No, you have removed from them the very sense, the burden, which would drive them to Christ, which would call out for a Savior and say, God, I'm on my knees and I need help. False prophets further enslave the people. As we see here with Hananiah, this burden of wood is now replaced with a yoke of iron. What God is essentially saying now is, is that people, because people have trusted in a lie, they have now uh, 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 become less likely to repent, and you have further enslaved them in their sin. Are you guys tracking with me? False prophets seek to remove 
the burden without Christ. You're in need of salvation. We've got easy believism prophets who will come and rescue you. Oh, their call to grace is easy. They talk about wrath that doesn't ever have to be paid. Yet, family, the grace that God gives us was not easy. It was costly. It wasn't cheap. It cost God His very own Son. It cost Jesus Christ His very own life. Wrath that needed to be paid, which He paid for us. You've got some money issues. You need some extra cash. Well, we've got profit, prosperity profits which abound. Prophets who will tell you that the floodgates of cash heaven are about to open up on your bank accounts. They will tell you that your deliverance is right around the corner. And you got people filling up these prosperity churches who every week hear that their deliverance, their breakthrough is right around the corner, and they've been coming every week, and the corner has never come. They're still broke. Why? It's because they're listening to these false prophets who are talking about something that God has never addressed in His Word. You feel guilty? Oh, we got prophets for that too. We've got revisionist prophets who come along and they, they change your view of the Bible and they say, you know, the way you always thought the Bible was to be read isn't the way the Bible's to be read. And what you always thought was sin was not actually sin. And, uh, you know, judgment in the Bible. I know that, I know that the biblical authors thought there was going to be judgment, but that's really just an illusion. That's just a metaphor. There's no real judgment. You're fine. Everybody's fine. Don't worry about it. You sent not a big deal. You're fine. God's got me. You're good to go. You get, get into uh, 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 some, some massive situation because of your sin. Let's say, let's say a car loan. I'm going to step on a couple toes here. All right? Because of your greed, because of your desire, because of, like, I just got to have this car. Because of the fact that you find your identity in what you drive, you got into a car loan sinfully. I'm not saying all car loans are sinful. Don't get me wrong. But would you agree that we can get into car loans sinfully? Anybody? Okay, we got three people that are tracking with me right now. And so now you don't know what to do because you can't afford your car loan. Well, tell you what, we've got false prophets for that as well. If God brought you to it, he'll get you through it. God gave me this car. He's going to give me the money to pay it off. Or maybe you need a promotion at work. You're looking for a promotion. Well, we have self-help prophets who have a book written ready for, ready for you. And they will tell you that God is primarily about your success. And that the Bible is God's tool book for you to be successful in this world. Saints, false prophets seek to remove your burden without Christ. Don't you see the problem with all of this? Don't you see that people are coming along with messages of how your life can be better and how you can do more with your life and how you can believe better and have greater faith? And all of it is Christless Christianity. 
Jesus is nowhere to be found in this kind of Christianity. And as a result, they're just simply seeking to remove these various burdens, these yokes that we have on our back. They're doing so without Christ. And as a result, they're replacing your yoke of wood with a yoke of iron. Well, what's our hope? Here's my second point. Jesus. Jesus. That's the right answer. Jesus. Only Christ can remove your burden. I think of Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. As he is on this long journey, he climbs up this hill, and at the top of the hill he comes in view of a cross. And there at the cross of Jesus Christ, His burden falls off and rolls away. What Christian discovers is that all of his friends back home couldn't help him. Only Christ could remove his burden at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, there the burden of my heart, what, did, what, what happened to it? It rolled away. Jesus, only Jesus can remove our burden. Jeremiah wears this yoke as a representative of the people. He wears this yoke as a sign that God's wrath is coming upon them and that they are going into slavery. However, all Jeremiah can do as a prophet of God is declare this truth to the people. Jeremiah did not have the power, no matter how much he would have liked to do something about that yoke. Jeremiah didn't have the power himself to remove the yoke from the people. What was required was another prophet who is to come. And this prophet is the better Jeremiah. Jesus Christ also wears a yoke, a burden, as a representative of God's people. Jesus Christ wore this burden for us. What did John say when he saw Jesus Christ coming? John the Baptist said, Ah, behold, the Lamb of God who what? He comes to take away the sin of the world. He comes to take away our pride and our power and our anger. He comes to take away this disabilitating sickness of finding our identity in what we do, or finding our identity in our work, or finding our identity in the streets. He comes to take away our guilt and our fear and our shame. The judgment of God that should have been ours was placed onto Jesus Christ on the cross, and He wore that yoke for us. 
He bore all of the weight of our sin. How heavy was that? I mean, it's a mystery, isn't it? How heavy is the weight of my sin? Just one individual, me. Well, the only thing we can uh, compare it to is an eternity in hell. That sounds pretty heavy. How about for all whom Christ died? For the people of God, how heavy was that burden that was placed on the shoulders of Jesus as He hung on the cross and bore the judgment of God for us? And what did He do with it? Where is the yoke? Well, it buried Him. It crushed Him. But even the weight of my sin and your sin could not keep Him in the ground. But from the dust three days later, Jesus rose victoriously from the dead. Where did the yoke go? He buried it in the ground. He took the weight that should have been ours and He buried it in the ground. And now Jesus offers His people another yoke. A new yoke. What does Jesus say? He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, how can a yoke be easy? Well, let's think of it. If I'm attached to this yoke with Jesus Christ as my partner, He's doing all the heavy lifting. He's doing all the work. I'm just a beneficiary of His work going along for the ride. Let me ask you this question. Which yoke are you under? We're all under a yoke. Which yoke are you under? You see, some people think that they can be freed from God. Well, if you believe you're freed from God, friends, you're, you're, you're merely a slave to sin. But we could flip that around. Freedom from sin means servitude to God. And there, taking the yoke of Jesus Christ on us, we find true freedom. Only in Christ do we find true freedom. You know the crazy thing about the quote-unquote false prophets of the world? A lot of what they say would actually be true if we say in Christ. If we recognize that this is, this, this is true in Christ. Meaning my deliverance is right around the corner in Christ. You tracking with me? Meaning, Christ is bringing deliverance to me now, and there is a greater deliverance right around the corner. It might, be, uh, it might not be a deliverance that I experience in my BB&T account downtown, right? It might not be that kind of deliverance, but there is true and real freedom that I am finding in Christ. Or for those who say, well, sin is done away with. Yes, in Christ. In Christ, there is no condemnation. Or for those who might say, if He brings you to it, He will get you through it. Amen, in Christ. Now, He might not get you through it the way that you want to get through it. You might lose the car, right? You might lose some of the things that you're clinging on to in this world, but it's for His sake and for His glory and for your good. He will get you through it. It's because He brings true freedom. Have you found the freedom that Jesus Christ has brought into this world and has offered to you? Do you know that freedom? It's a freedom that gets you through every storm. It's a freedom that gets you through all kinds of tribulation. 
It's a freedom who, which gets you through all the persecution that we can face in the world. Why? It's because we have Christ standing by me. Christ is with me. I am under Him. Family, don't you see that any preaching, any preaching apart from Christ is absolutely useless? Don't you see that only true freedom can come in Christ? Come to Him now. Come under His yoke now and find the forgiveness, the life, and the freedom that God offers in Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Jesus Christ. We thank You for the fact that Christ took our burden on His own shoulders on the tree, that He died, buried that yoke in the ground, offered us a yoke with Him. God, I pray that every man, woman, and child in this room will come under the yoke of Jesus Christ, will be tied to Christ, will be in Him, and that in Him we will find true freedom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.